Well, good morning. Welcome in this room. Welcome in the communion room. Welcome online, however it is that you're here. We're really glad that you're here. So turn to your Bibles and we'll go to Luke chapter 12. And if you need one, you can wave at the ushers in the aisles. We'll go to Luke 9, and uh, oh, let me just tell you, next week, I hope that you're here on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, our own homegrown Michael McDowell and his wife Elizabeth will be back from D.C., and he'll be preaching a great Thanksgiving message for us uh, next week, so bring your family and come and be a part of that. And then, uh, of course, looking back, last week, Steve Carter got us started on a two-part series on the subject of generosity. Somehow, I didn't play this quite right, and he claimed the positive side of the coin, leaving me with the not-so-positive side of the coin. So we left last week feeling so joyous and happy, soaring with positive feelings at the thought of aspiring to be generous people, and I'm left holding the side of the coin that's on the subject of greed. Usually I'm so much cleverer than that uh, and, and try to, 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 to take the best part myself, so I don't know why I'm losing it. But anyhow, uh, Tim Keller, who was a, a great uh, preacher and hero to many of us in ministry up in New York City who recently died of cancer, he told a story um, some years ago, of when he was doing a men's breakfast for seven weeks on the seven deadly sins. His wife said, guarantee you, the smallest crowd will be on the Sunday you come to greed. He said, sure enough, she was right. Lust packed the house. Wrath, pride, all full, but not greed. Keller asked the question, why do you think so few people came for that one? He said, I think it's because no one really thinks of themselves as greedy. That's something other people wrestle with, but never ourselves. Because the tentacles of greed wrap themselves so subtly around us that we hardly even notice that it's starting to happen. I'll illustrate Perhaps this has happened to you. You, uh, you, move, you, you, you have in mind we're going to move to that neighborhood and our kids can go to that school and we'll be in that social uh, context. And so it all comes about just as planned and you begin to connect with people. And what begins to happen? You begin to benchmark with people in that neighborhood who you uh, notice they seem to have a little bit more than we have. Now, you could compare yourself to say, well, look at all those, those people who don't have as much as we're so blessed. And for, but we don't do that, do we? We always tend to look at those people, and then we start to think, gosh, why don't I have what they have? It's just how it works, and apparently it's nothing new. Jesus talked about it himself 2,000 years ago, even back in a day when the dwellings people lived in were far inferior to our suburban homes today and where they wore tunics that have never appealed to me in the least. And Jesus talked about greed and possessions and generosity and money so much. In fact, he talked about money 10 times more frequently than any other subject except the kingdom of God. Did you know that? And out of 39 parables... 11 were on possessions, money, and greed. 
That's 28%. Now, I was just thinking about that this week when I came upon that statistic and thinking to myself, in a year with 52 Sundays, which is what we have, to be on pace with Jesus, we would have to preach on money and possessions and greed about 15, 16 Sundays per year. In reality, we do it two, maybe three times per year, which has really caught me up short. And so some of you have asked, what are we going to do in 2024? And, well, I want to be more like Jesus. And so, no, not really. <laughs> We'd have to spend about four months talking about uh, money and possessions. We're not going to do that. But we are going to talk about it today. So in chapter 12 uh, of Luke, that's where we're going to go. And here's the context. Jesus has been teaching the disciples and all the other people, thousands who are gathering around. He's always talking to his disciples, uh, but, but he's always letting other people overhear and listen in. And so he's been talking about confessing Christ before other people. He's been talking about uh, teaching uh, about the inevitability of persecution that would come to his followers. Uh, he's been even talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So he's been talking about a lot of serious sorts of things. And then there's this man in the crowd who just jumps in, clearly hasn't been listening a bit to what's going on, interrupts the whole thing. And he blurts out, verse 13, <clears throat> teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, by the way, why would anybody jump in and interrupt a teacher like Jesus and say, hey, would you help us settle this domestic dispute that we have about our inheritance? Well, the reason that he would do that is because there were rabbis in Jesus' day who would serve as arbiters for things like this. And so I guess he figured, well, you, you could do this. Uh, you seem pretty smart. But Jesus replied in verse 14, man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. And then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things Laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, you fool, this very night your life is going to be demanded of you. And then who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? This, Jesus says, is how it'll be with anybody who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. But Jesus, thinking to himself, well, as long as you've interrupted my sermon... I'll go with you, and I'm going to talk with you, man, and other people about this subject that you've clearly stepped yourself right into the midst of, and that is the subject of greed. That's why he says in verse 15, watch out, be on your guard, he says. Now, why does he say watch out? We don't yell watch out unless there's danger for somebody ourselves or somebody that we love who's nearby. Watch out. He's signaling, hey, people, this is serious stuff. It sneaks in on you, and you don't even know what's going on. And so why? 
Why watch out? I'll tell you three reasons. The first one is this. It's so easy for any of us to get to thinking, what's mine is mine. Look at the parable again, this time with some words highlighted, the pronouns. And I want you to notice how this man was thinking. Verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Incidentally, this man's clearly a successful person, worked hard, apparently honest, successful. There's no reason to think that there's anything wrong. Not at this point, there's not. And then he said, is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, bigger ones, and store my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of good things laid up. Take life easy and eat and drink and be merry. Twelve times he's referring to the stuff as my stuff. He really thought what he had was his. And now he thinks, well, so that I need bigger barns. Jesus was emphasizing this very thing. This is a problem. We can start to think what's not ours is really ours. Sort of like the lady that I've told you about before. That's <laughs> a story I read of a lady who was going through an airport and she stops by the vending machine and gets a packet of Oreos and she sits down in a chair wait for her call, flight to be called and there's a man on the other side, an empty chair in between. And while she's sitting there, uh, she... Uh, uh, notices the packet of Oreos because the man reaches over and, and takes it, opens it up and takes one out. And then she looks disgusted at him and, and takes her own Oreo. And then he takes another and smiles because there's a language barrier. He couldn't speak his language. And, and she takes it and they go back and forth. And finally it comes down to the final Oreo and he lifts it up and breaks it in half and gives her half. He being generous and gracious, she being so disgusted, gets up and walks onto the plane, straps in, gets ready to go and looks into her purse and she finds her own pack of Oreos <laughs> that she hadn't realized they were snacking on. And I'm afraid we do the, the very same sort of thing with God. He entrusts us with so much in this life, in this world. And we start thinking, it's mine. It's all mine. And yet, God says, wait a second. I was here centuries before you ever got here. Everything was mine. And after you're gone, it'll still be mine. As the psalmist wrote in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him. <clears throat> and all you have to do to discover how true this is, is just to die. Because the moment that you die, you'll begin to see that other people step in and begin to put their hands on what you always thought was yours. And <clears throat> so Max Lucado, uh, in his folksy sort of way, writes an illustration of the same. He says, suppose you and your family went on a trip for several weeks and you hired a college girl to, to uh, superintend your to house sit. And suppose you return after several weeks away and you pull up and it's in the evening time. You can look through the windows and see clearly, my gosh, our walls have been painted pink 
and purple. And so you park the car and you get out of your car and you, and you walk towards the door and you get out your key and you try to put your key into the keyhole and the key won't even go into the hole. And so you bang on the door and the, and the collegiate comes to the door and says, yes, who's there and how can I help you? And you say, well, I need to, we, we're home, ready to come into our house. And suppose she were to say, your house? Who do you think you are? I've been living here now for several weeks and ever since it's been my house. Now, obviously that's nonsense. But I'm afraid that's exactly what many of us might indeed sound like to God's ears. When we take what he's entrusted to us in this world, in this little slice of time that we have called life here on earth, and we begin to forget we're really his house sitters. We're his stewards for however long he gives us. Yet all of us can convince ourselves, no, it's mine. That's my house, my property, my land, my bank account, my everything. That's why Jesus says, you better watch out. It's putting its tentacles around you. Greed will tell you what's yours is yours. But we have come to know the love of the Lord. We have a different worldview. The communistic worldview says, Whatever I earn belongs to you. The capitalistic worldview says, whatever I earn belongs to me. The Christian worldview says, whatever I earn belongs to him. And he entrusts it to my stewardship while I'm here on earth. You say, well, that doesn't make a lick of sense because I went out and I earned it. Yes, you did. But who gave you the talents? He gave you the talents. You say, well, I have mental horsepower. That's how I got it. Yes, but who gave you that mental horsepower? God did. You say, well, I, I have a lot of energy. I don't require a lot of sleep. I've been working, working, working hard. Yes, but who gave you that energy, that boundless? He did. You say, well, I made a lot of connections. I'm a connector. And I'm really good at just connecting and things Come to, yes, but who ordained your path in such a way that you might bump into that person and meet that next person? Don't you see, God, if you go upstream to the headwaters of it all, there's God who really gave it all to you. So if you want to know if it's sneaking up on you, greed, that's the first way. A second way is you begin to realize no matter how much I have, it'll never be enough. Have you noticed that? I bet when he was younger, I bet that farmer had thought to himself, well, one day if I could ever possibly fill up this barn with all the grain, because remember, grain in the barn was like gold in the bank in that culture. If I could ever just fill up this whole one barn, my gosh, I'd be set. And after that, I could become benevolent and care for other people and generous and all the less fortunate and all those sorts of things. But then what happens when he fills up the first barn? Then he fills up a second barn. Then he builds a third and, he, and on and on. And finally, he's like, you know what the problem is? We're just building these barns too small. I've never liked these barns in here. Call the construction crew. Just tear them all down. We need bigger barns. That's what we need. Let's tear down the old ones so that we'll have room for all the grain that's coming in. And we do that too, don't we? It starts when we're kids. 
and you say, Mom, if I could just have that video game, just that one, that's it, then I'll be, I'll be good forever, you know? Or that bike, if I could have that bike, then I'll ride it forever. Or, or those clothes, if I could just have clothes like his clothes or her clothes, I, I never need anything else again. Or that car, my very own car, then I'll just be independent and I'll, just, I'll be set for life. Or that house, you know, that dream house will be happily ever after living in that dream house. But what happened? Once you got any or all of those things, what happened? You turn your attention to other people who have even more of those things, and that's when you realize, you know what? This neighborhood was never the right neighborhood for us. This house, this house, I never really liked it that much. We need to go over there where there's that better house, that bigger house, and we need some more cars. I mean, they've just come so far since that car, and we need more clothes and better clothes, and even though most of us have closets that are sized that you can walk into that people in other countries would call sizable enough to live in. And on it goes. And by the way, I can hear you saying, I don't like this sermon very much. Let me just tell you, <laughs> I don't like it either. I just drew the bad side of the coin. I'm preaching it to myself as well as to you. Trust me. I had to live with it every day this week. And I just, every time it's like, I just really don't like this sermon so very much. But Jesus is telling us, you got to watch out. Greed is a sneaky thing. And that's the second way that you begin, you, you just, you'll never, it's never satiated. There's always something else that we want. And I'll tell you a third thing. Greed is dreadfully short-sighted. This man, he really thought, I, once I get all the bigger barns and I've stuffed them all full, it's like gold in the bank, then I, I'll be set. I'll be protected. I'll be in control no matter which direction you turn. But the problem was he wasn't looking far enough into the future. Oh, he was looking 20 and 30 and 40 years ahead in the future, but he wasn't looking any beyond that. That's the problem. He wasn't thinking about hundreds of years or thousands or hundreds of thousands of years into the future, long after his life was over on this side, and long after he'd been separated by the earthly things that he'd always called his, this man had been storing up as if the world was all there was, and that there was no spiritual reality except this, this physical world in which he lived. Now, obviously, if there is a physical world, and there is, and we live in it, then it would be foolish to save nothing, especially if you anticipate growing older and needing to retire and these sorts of things. And so you do have to save something. That's not what it's saying. And there's plenty of verses in Proverbs so that talk about that. But what he's telling us here is if there's something besides a physical world, and there is, then to save everything in the physical world, not the spiritual world, any of it, he says, that's foolish. On the other side, and that's what he calls him in verse 20, you fool, this very night your life is going to be required of you, and then who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? He was thinking only in terms of this life but he was never considering any ways that he could take some of what he had and send it on ahead 
What do you mean send it on ahead? Storing up for himself treasure in heaven. How do you do that? Look down. He says, seek, verse 31 is where I'm going. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he'll give you everything you need. Now, this is the part that requires faith, because this is what's frightening to us. We're like, well, I want to seek God's kingdom first. It's just so hard, because I just, I want to hang on to this stuff. It makes me feel better and more in control. And he said, no, no, wait, 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 don't seek. Seek my kingdom first, and he'll give you everything that you need. You say, that's just so scary. Yes, it is. That's why he says in verse 32, don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. So what do I do, Jesus? Sell your possessions, he says. Give to those who have need. And in so doing, you'll store up treasure for yourself in heaven. And the persons of heaven never get older, develop holes. Your treasure will be safe there. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. You see what he's saying here? He's saying, if you'll choose to resist the temptation of stockpiling everything on this side, but you would take a portion and you would, you would give it away, in that giving, there is a spiritual transaction that happens that it, if you will, is, is storing up for yourself treasure in heaven. That somehow is credited to your account, which is a good thing because the reality is you and I cannot build barns that are sturdy enough and strong enough to carry the stuff that we call ours into the next life. Well, the Egyptians tried it, and the terracotta soldiers uh, over in China, you can see evidence of people have tried it for centuries. It doesn't work. But Jesus, on the other hand, says, I'm offering you so much more. I have riches for you in heaven that would blow you away, immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. You say, okay, that's what I want. He says, okay, then come to me by faith. This is what we call the gospel. The concept that God, seeing us in our sinfulness and our shortfallenness, so loved us that he said, I am not going to give up on you. Rather, I'm going to come to you. And becoming a man, Jesus, he came and he lived the life of sinlessness, sinlessness that we couldn't live. And qualifying him to then die the death of punishment that we all deserved. So that we wouldn't have to pay the price for our sins. And then in turn on the third day, conquering the grave. Being infused with that resurrection power, signifying to all of us that we can be insured and assured of his heavenly bounties. You say, that's what I want. Yes, that's called saving faith. You say, well, I know that. I've done that. I have trusted him with my eternity. Ah, so here's how it comes together. And here's the challenge. Somehow, in our materialistic world, it's easier for us to say, I trust you with my eternity for tens of thousands of years, Lord. He says, great, then I'm going to ask you to give a little evidence of that 
Why don't you give back just a little bit? Why don't you give to this person over there? Why don't you take care of her? She has some needs. You, you could do that. And we're like, what? Why is that so hard for us to think I can trust you with my eternity, but I can't trust you with any of my stuff? It really doesn't make much sense, does it? And yet we know I can't take it with me. He's saying, you could send it on ahead. Why don't you do that instead? So recently I was talking with a newer couple called the Whitakers, uh, Candace and Mike, and they got talking about their generosity in a way that just, it was so, in, it, they're captivating. They're, they're just enjoyable to listen to. I said, would you just say that whole thing again and t- say it to the church? I said, well, sure, we could do that. And so they did that recently. Take a look here at the screens. I'm Candace Whitaker. This is my awesome honey, Mike. And we've been married for 15, almost 15 years. And we have two kids, Shantae, she's 12, and our son, Michael III. And we've been at Faith Bridge since January 2023. It's been awesome. Generosity is absolutely foundational to the life of any believer, right? Because uh, the Bible says wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Yeah, like you mentioned, the heart posture. Heart posture, right? that's um, what I was going to say. For me, generosity is paramount because without it I don't know where my heart really is. There have been many a times, many of times, that has been very hard to give financially. So when Mike got out the military, it was last no, last minute. So we knew that he was gonna be getting out soon, but they literally told him on a Monday that he was gonna be out by next Friday. And the army or military period, when you get out they give you a one way ticket home. And we at this time we had built a lifestyle built on two incomes, two like two two nice incomes, because we were officers in the military. And at the same time that he got out, we were pregnant with our second child. And so he was like, I'm gonna do carpentry. And I was like, what, what you mean you done carpentry? You're an intelligence officer. You're gonna go get an intel job, you're gonna get this big money, and we're gonna be back on track, like financially. And he's like, no, God told me to do carpentry. I'm like, but he didn't tell me. Like, why would he tell you and not tell me? Like, I'm just freaking stressed out, you know, financially stressed. So he went home, he took that one-way ticket home to get tools and a truck from his dad. And on his way back, um, we lost our baby. I went into preterm labor and uh, ended up losing our, our daughter. And so you talk about financial stress upon financial stress. It was just, it was insane. Uh, stressful and like honestly it was nothing but God that one kept us together kept us like in our right mind and like the finance what we thought was gonna be I thought was gonna be like financial problems was no longer a concern because I'm just like Lord if you can get us through this then the finances will be nothing and he talks about in Malachi 3 he says test me in this thing right like give your tithe and see if I will not open up a window of heaven. And like a lot of times I think believers are thinking that that window of heaven is tied to financial resources, but really it's not because when God has access to my heart, so if my money money is tied to my heart, but I give him access to my heart, then I put myself in a position to where he can have access to all of me. Yeah, so it, it reminds me of what my dad tells us all the time even from kids, he said, I always have seed in the ground. So that means I'm always reaping a harvest. And I'm like, man, 
He said, I always give. I'm always gonna be giving. And God will meet you where you are. All you have to do is make a step. Everybody can't make a leap, right? So just take a step, and even in the small things. And I don't know if that harvest is gonna come financially, right. emotionally, physically, whatever it might come, help my family, help somebody else. I just, I know I'm always reaping a harvest because I keep seed in the ground. Yeah. So it's really cool, so we love it. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that good? <laughs> They're so fun to talk with. And what I loved is that Candace was talking about how our hearts follow our treasures. And that's what Jesus says in 34. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. That's just how it works. And she also mentioned that word tithing, which means a tenth. Um, and she referred to a verse that I've, I've talked about over the years, and I'm going to talk about it a few minutes right now. It's Malachi 3.10, where, Jesus, uh, where Malachi, speaking for the Lord, said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse of the Lord. Bring your tenth. And uh, if you will do that, see if I don't throw open the windows of heaven and bless your socks off. That's the Warline revision. And, but what does he say? He says, test me in this, which is so uncharacteristic because in other places, he says, don't you put me to the test. But here he says, that's all right. I know you need, you're, you're a little scared. So go ahead and put me to the test. Now, I want to just illustrate this whole tithing because many of you, you're new and you're like, I don't think I understand. What are you you're saying? You would give 10% of your earnings away? Yes, the answer is, is yes. That's exactly what we're saying. Is it 10%? You say, I, I'm going to give that. Whoopsie. I'm going to give that. Back to God. How about somebody come up and help me? Would somebody come help me? Some friendly person? Thank you. All right. Here we go. Let's see if I can get it to stick. It'll be more enjoyable that way. All right. Stay. All right. So this is a, a little method for living out uh, the tithe. Um, the way my dad taught it to me. He said, now, son, I was only six. But he said, son, here's what I want you to do. You're going to get a dollar. I want you to give back a dime to the Lord. You'll take that to church. You'll give it back every week. And then <clears throat> uh, you'll save 10%. When I was six, I was like, I don't know what in the world. He said, trust me, one day you'll get it. And then he says, you live off the balance. He says, if you'll establish this pattern into your life, things will go well for you. So I did. And I always have. And subsequently, when it comes to this concept of tithing, that's never been a challenge because it was just always built in. It's saying, hey, the first of what I have, God, I'm going to give back to you. Why would I do that? Because God's running low? No. God's doing just fine. Everything belongs to him. But he's putting us to a test. He's saying, okay, you say you have faith. Let me just see a little evidence of that. Because if you would trust me, with just 10%, you will expose yourself to the marvels of kingdom economics. 
And I can begin to work in your life, in your family, in your marriage, uh, in your business. I can do immeasurably more than you could have asked or imagined. What about the middle one? Then dad said, you'll want to save as well. You might even want to do more than 10% uh, nowadays. But that was just, this wasn't original with my dad, incidentally. I think it was Rockefeller who came up with this 10, 10, 80. And you've seen it. You can Google it on. I mean, it's, it's nothing original. And I've told it to you before. I've even done this illustration before, but it's been about six years. And I figured it's, it's time to do this again. And then what? Then, Dad, I remember saying, well, then the rest is yours to do whatever you want to do at this stage in your life. Or whatever you need to do when you're older, you'll have things that you'll need to, to pay for and things that you'll need to buy and a family that you'll need to take care of. And, and you'll have what it takes to do that because you will have gotten things in order. Now, the problem is that so many people, including Christians, followers of Christ, they never heard of this before, and they never got on this sort of plan. And, and so what they're living like is this. That's debt. <laughs> Where you're spending uh, more than you're bringing in. And, 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 and things get out of whack there. And you take yourself away from the the benefit of God saying, now you're inviting me in. And so we say, no, let's not do that. Let's, let's go back and let's get the priorities right. And see if by an adjustment, there wouldn't be pleasant surprises along the way. Over the years, I've issued a challenge to our congregation saying, I want to give you what we'll call the Malachi 310 challenge. And the challenge goes like this. I'm going to ask you to step out. I'm not going to ask you anything that God isn't asking you. And even Jesus, who in Matthew 23 and, and uh, Luke 11 also says, yes, you should tithe. But don't just tithe. You can go above and beyond and do it with a joyful heart. And so it's all through Scripture. You say, well, wh why tithe? I mean, why 10%? Why did he choose that? Well, I don't know. I guess just by having a good, solid percentage, it demystifies the question that all of us are asking of ourselves. Am I generous or is it just talk? You can see it. Literally, when you go online and look at your account, well, look at there. We tithe because, as Tim Keller said, in so doing we can know that we are most likely giving far more than people throughout the rest of the world. And in so doing, we're opening ourselves up to the, to the fullness of the surprises that God works in his kingdom and experiencing uh, those blessings. So this is why we do it. Now, the problem is, I was convinced years ago, and I still am, that any of you hearing my voice right now, you're like, I would like to try that. But I, I look at that and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I just, I don't know. I don't know if it'd work. And it might really throw things off terribly and this sort of thing. And that's why years ago I had a zany idea and we just stayed with it all these years. We called it the Malachi 310 challenge. I said, okay, for 90 days, 
He says, put, you to the, put him to the test. Well, let, let's put him to the test. Why don't you tithe for 90 days? And at the end of 90 days, if he's blessed you, the safety net will become a trampoline. But if at the end of 90 days, you're like, this was a disaster, you just call us up at the church and say as much, and we'll give you back every penny that you gave in those 90 days. You can't lose. It's a safety net, right? But like I said, I think you'll find it would become a trampling for hundreds of families over the years. Any of you who are a little bit cynical, you're like, well, how many people needed the money back guarantee? I'll tell you. Four. Three of them were ladies who became single moms during that time because a husband left. And so they called and said, we, just, we can't keep doing this any longer. And we said, no, I guess you can't. And <clears throat> furthermore, we, we gave them extra support from our benevolence fund and said, hey, we're going to, the scriptures say to take care of, of, of widows, and, and, and so we're going to come around you. And the fourth one happened in uh, 17 during Harvey. One family was in the middle of the Malachi 310 challenge, and Harvey hit, and their home was ravaged. And he called and said, I just, I don't think we can do that. And we said, no, we'll give you everything back that you have given. And we have a Harvey fund, and we gave them $10,000. And over time, they would come back and would become a fabulously generous, faithful family. Why? Because they had that safety net. I'm going to give you the same challenge today. Here's the reality. You say, well, it seems like there's a little bit of a conflict of interest. You're talking about this, and the other day you were saying we're a little behind. Let me give you an update on that. Things are coming along very nicely there. But any of you who've been here for any length of time, you know this ain't the first time Ken's preached this sermon. Some of you are like, I've heard it five times. I've even seen the M&Ms. And so the reality is I've preached this sermon in good times. I've preached it in bad times financially for the church. I preach it because it's true. Regardless of where the church is, and again, gratefully, thank you for things have ticked up even since my little rah-rah a few weeks ago. And so that's good, but now it's about you, because I want you to step into the blessings that God has for you. Now, here's the reality. You could run the experiment elsewhere. Go find a, 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 a charitable organization and say, would you suspend this safety net and if they say yes we we could we would do then take the challenge there and you'll remove all conflict of interest if you're if you're skeptical um but what i want is for you to take a step of faith to step into it and say okay i'm going to try and do this any of you who've done dave ramsey or any of the you know that all of these programs are essentially uh, this program uh, jazzed up just a little bit. And so that's my challenge for you today. Here's what I want you to do. Take out your phone and take a photo of the QR code that's, uh, or put your camera up to this QR code for the Malachi 
310 challenge. 26 families in the early service said, we're going to do this. And I suspect that equally as many would do this. And, and so that will run then till about Valentine's Day. And here's, here's the deal. I'm going to ask you at the end to send me a note. Tell me what did God do? You say, well, what kind of blessings are there? Let me be clear. I am not prescribing and God's going to just, you're going to start getting packets of money in the mail and, and I'm not, there are some TV preachers that do say those sorts of shenanigans. I would never presume to tell you, here's what God will do. And sometimes there are, I have heard stories like that, and those are fantastic. But I've also had people who wrote in and said, you know, our finances didn't really change, but our marriage did. Ever since we got on this plan, Pastor, our mar- we haven't fought nearly as much. We're so much more amicable. It's just like peaceful in our home. It's just like, I'd say that's a blessing. So I don't know what the blessing will be, but I just know that God's word is true. And I want to invite you to step into it and be a part of what he's doing in your own life. And so that's my challenge. That's my invitation. You, I saw some of you, if you didn't uh, take your camera, why don't you do that uh, yet? And then um, we'll just wrap it up with that. Let me say a closing prayer. Lord, thank you for... Um, the freedom that you offer to us all. Freedom from greed. It is like Tim Keller said, the vice, the sin that sneaks up on us. Lusting and adultery and anger and murdering and all those sorts of, it's not very confusing. It's very clear when those are happening. This one sneaks up on us and gets, just gets very rationalized out of our minds. And we point to other people because we can always see selfishness and greed in them, but we don't see it in us. But yet every one of us does wrestle with it. I wrestle with it. And you know, Lord, I even was having to put my soul under the microscope before I could preach this today. I pray, God, that you would give us courage, faith, and uh, help us to step out in obedience, uh, especially with a safety net that has become a trampoline for so many people over the years, and but has been a safety net for at least four, and can certainly be that if need be. But wouldn't you build our faith, and most of all, help us, God, to be people who are walking closely with you and not people who are giving lip service to you while knowing deep down I'm not really walking my talk at all. I talk about being full of faith and the Lord and all, but I'm not giving the evidence of it. And this is one of the clearest evidences there is. It's not generosity that saves us, it's your grace that saves us, but generosity is one of the most practical outworkings of the saved, transformed heart. Because like Scrooge, we've been changed and touched. Wouldn't you do that work in all of us? We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.